Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity Session 2, Absent Father Wound. The speaker is Bill Howard. How many guys in here have uh, young kids? Young kids? Alright. How many guys how many guys don't have kids? Wow, quite a few of you, huh? Well, I've I've got four boys, and uh, you know, kids when they're younger say funny things. And I came across a story where a teacher was trying to convince second graders to go buy their school picture of their class. And in doing so, the teacher told the kids, she said, hey, listen, kids, you really need to buy this picture because when you get older in life, you'll look at that picture and you'll say, hey, look, there's Susie, she's a lawyer, and there's Johnny, and he's a doctor. And little Bobby raised his hand and says, yes. And I'll look at the picture and he'll say, there's the teacher and she's dead. <laughs> it's got to like kids, right? It's telling like it is. I heard another story of a little girl who was in class one day. And uh, she was about seven years old. And the teacher uh, was talking about whales. And the teacher's uh, little girl raised her hand and said... Uh, Teacher, I just want you to know that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. The teacher was very offended and said, let me tell you, there's no way a whale can swallow a human being. Its throat is not large enough. But she adamantly repeated, Jonah was swallowed by a whale. She says, I'm telling you, it's not possible. Then she said, well, listen, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And the teacher says, well, what if Jonah's in hell? Little girl said, well, then you ask him. <laughs> Kids can say it like it is, can't they? All right. Well, guys, look at here. We're going to move into session two. And today we are going to face a major wound that we have as men. And we talked about that a little bit. There's different wounds that we have. And this one is called the absent father wound. And so number one here, point A says, we are in process of seeking to make sense of why we are the way we are. So we're in some process of seeking to make sense of why we are the way we are. And until we do, men, we will not have the ability to choose a better way. Point one, we are, to some degree, a product of our past. To some degree, a product of our past. In the Bible, uh, the Bible refers to really a generational issue. That there are wounds from a past generation. They may visit the next generation. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. But it has to do with your parents. And that's why if you ever go to a counseling session, one of the first questions, in fact, I was talking to Larry in our group last week, and he said he had gone to a session one time, and the counselor said, well, tell me about your dad. And he goes, I don't want to tell you about my dad. <laughs> but if you sit anywhere with anybody who has any degree of counseling in a professional sense, they're going to very quickly go to your past. Because some of why, why you do what you do today It's hanging back there. And so for some issues like that, our past can make life easier. 
Uh, if you had a sense of growing up with a sense of well-being and confidence about who you're created to be, that's going to move you in life probably easier. But if you grew up with a sense of a vacuum in your soul that you're going, I'm not sure if I'm good at anything. Maybe you numb out through getting addicted to drugs or alcohol. That's going to make your life harder. Are you with me? And so point two, we are in some ways then controlled by our past until we consciously and willfully choose to break that control. Point B, past wounds often have a powerful controlling effect over our lives. Unfortunately, many men are not in touch with them. Uh, There's a Greek philosopher that once said that an unexamined life is a life not worth living. And as men, it's easy to get into your late teens, into your early 20s and just work and go, 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 go and not think. And there was a guy named C.S. Lewis. Have you ever heard of C.S. Lewis? He was a writer, a philosopher. And C.S. Lewis in his latter life would do nothing but sit around and guys would come and listen to him think. And he said, I'm amazed how I can make a living just telling people what I'm thinking because they're not. So we got to learn to exercise our brain with regard to our own lives, examine our own lives, take it, look at our own lives. In fact, one of the first commands in the Bible is love God. What's it say? Oh, love God most in the second pen is love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, it's important to understand yourself and how you're wired and created and examine yourself. So some of these wounds, guys, are like surgeon's cuts. Very clean and yet painful. Some of them are like getting hit with an axe. They're just brutal. Okay? So the first one we're going to talk about here is what we call the absent father wound. And... Uh, as we jump into the idea of dad, the dad, what, a, what an amazing word. Think about that. You know, any man can father a child correctly, but not every guy can be a dad. William Bennett, who used to be the uh, secretary of education, uh, he was the drug czar of uh, America. And at one point he was asked when he was being introduced, what title would he like to be introduced as? He said, well, if you want to introduce me at, at my highest title, tell everybody that I'm a dad. Because that's something that he would understand, as we all need to, that there's something amazingly powerful about that one central figure in every guy's life here. And that is, you may not be a dad, but you've had a dad. And so have I. And that guy has influenced you. Okay? Um, Today, uh, interesting statistics, in 1960, 14% of children growing up in America live without their dads. 1970, 25% of kids live without their dads. 1980, 38%. And 1990, 43%. Today, Nearly one out of every two kids in America are going to grow up without their biological dad. Now, if you look around and read the newspapers and look at anything sociologically, you'll realize 
we're in some deep weeds, right, in our culture. And a lot of it has to do with this issue right here. Lance Morrow said this in Civilization magazine. He said, The damage caused by a father's absence may be severe and may last a lifetime. This father wound, he said, is a shadow. Their sons have a need for their fathers that have not been significantly explored. I see this in other men, and I see this in my own sons' lives. And that is a longing for me. You know, my boys, I've got four of them. 17, 16, 13, and 11. And I'd mentioned, I think, last week that every time I walk in the door, they're like little birds with their mouths wide open looking for some father food. All boys are that way. You are that way. I'm that way. And the question is, what if that man didn't know... Number one, that you needed something. Number two, he didn't know what to put down your spiritual gullet. Then I just, I'm telling you, you're going to be wounded. Left without something. Here's what David Blankenshorn said about the statistics of the fatherless America. He wrote a book called Just That. He said, the fatherless family of the U.S. in the late 20th century is a social invention of the most daring and untested design. It represents a radical departure from virtually all of human history and experience. It's like we're in a rocket ship, untested, sociologically, is what we're experiencing in our culture. And so, here's what happens with the definition. Point A, look at your notes here. A definition of this wound is an ongoing psychological, social, or spiritual deficit ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with dad that must now be overcome by other means. And so this deficit can create weightless sons. Let me give you an example. Um, There's a guy, maybe some of you remember this guy. His name was Jeffrey Dahmer. And Jeffrey Dahmer uh, committed 17 murders. He was sentenced to 952 years in prison, and he didn't last long. He was murdered in prison, I think, within the first year or so of his uh, incarceration. Anyway, after he was killed, uh, the researchers, scientists, wanted to do some studies on his brain to see if there was some sort of scientific connection to his brain and violence. And his father said no. And his dad actually wrote a book. It's called The Father's Story. And here's Jeffrey Dahmer's father's quote in the book. He said, In pursuit of graduate studies, I was never around. I was emotionally disconnected from my son. So I wasn't there to see him as he began to sink. I wasn't there to sense that he might be drifting toward that unimaginable realm of fantasy and isolation that would take him down in the years to come. Pretty amazing, huh? Because see, here's the thing, guys. When dad is absent or not there or passive, what happens is it creates weightless sons who begin to drift and float and bump around like pinballs in a pinball machine. 
And it's not going to create men on purpose. It's going to create men to become violent or addictive or obsessed or abusive. And I'll tell you why here in a second. In the Bible, uh, the very last book in the Bible is, is a book called Malachi or Malachi if you're Italian. And the very last passage in that last book of the Old Testament closes like this where uh, God said the culture is out of control. And God said, I'm going to send a prophet, this guy named Elijah, and he's going to come. And here's what he's going to do to restore some sense of civility in an out of control culture. Here's what he said. He will restore the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Period. End of Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? Now, it's amazing because I think in our culture, guys, there's a lot of dads who have, at least in the generation that my dad was, my dad was a World War II guy. He didn't fight in the war. He never got called over. He trained guys how to shoot Sherman tanks up there in Kentucky. And uh, lost his hearing from doing that. And, uh, but he lost a lot of friends in the war. And it would, I, he never talked about it. Every time he'd start talking about it, he'd start crying. And so I would see my dad oftentimes cry more while watching television than watching life. And he didn't have the ability to move in a direction toward me because he had lost the heart language. The ability to give his heart. And it was funny, as, as I was growing up, I really wanted his attention. And, you know, again, with my boys, uh, especially when they're younger, and it doesn't, even when they're older, uh, you'll hear your kids say a phrase, usually often, and it's this. Dad, look, Dad, look, Dad, watch, watch, watch. Right? <clears throat> Why is that? Because there's something within the heart of every son who is longing for one set of eyes, and, and it's only one. And it's dad. And it's that dad to look into the heart of a son and say, God, you're amazing. You're the man. You're my man. You're God's man. You are so significant. Well done. It's so important, guys, that the perfect man who ever walked on the planet was Jesus Christ. And at a point when he was 30 years old, he was ready to embark upon the mission that his father had sent him on. And all the way through his life, he'd tell everybody, hey, listen, I want you to know, I didn't come on my own initiative. My father sent me. It's amazing. And in the moment he was ready to embark upon the mission that his father sent him on, the father spoke. It's the only time we know in all of history that God literally spoke other than when he said something to Moses. And apparently everybody heard it, but here's what he said. Listen, when he was being baptized by John, he's, the, the father said, listen, this is my my." Son, with whom I am well pleased. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you ever think about it, why would Jesus need to hear that? Who is God himself in human form? 
Because he is the son of God. He is the God man who was sent by the father God to accomplish this mission. And in his humanity, born of a woman, conceived by the father, something in his humanity said, I need to hear, well done, I'm pleased. And you know what? If he needed to hear it, my sense is there's not a man in this room that doesn't need to hear it, right? You just do. And if we don't get it, let me tell you guys, it is not a good scene. Uh, look at three words or phrases for your dad. Uh, my dad, as I told you, he was a World War II guy. He was fairly quiet, pretty close to the vest, held his cards that way. And so uh, he wouldn't share a lot. My dad, the way I would describe my dad, he was present, mostly in one chair all of his life, right there in front of the television. And my, uh, I had four siblings, or three siblings. Uh, we would sort of circle around along with my mom. My dad would circle around my dad like buzzards looking for some food. And the more you invaded my dad's privacy, the more angry he would become. And so he would keep a distance around him. Because when he got home in his own mind, in his generation, I work, I come home. Home is my time. That was my dad. He'd drink uh, usually a six-pack of beer at least uh, after work. And by the time he came up for dinner, he was always a little bit loopy. And you kind of didn't know whether he was... Uh, it was kind of like going to a fountain. You didn't know you were going to get poison or something sweet. Whatever was going to come out of his mouth. But if you invaded his personal space, he would let you know about it. And so the words or phrases, some words or phrases I thought about my dad. Uh, the interesting thing was I told you I knew he had, he had a tenderness about him. Yet he was strong. He was tender, strong, private. And he was angry. That's the way I would describe words to describe my dad. But the major phrase I would use to describe my dad is the phrase, tell me. Dad, tell me. Tell me how to date a girl. Tell me how to resolve conflict. Tell me how to work out life when plan A doesn't work out. How do you create plan B? Tell me how to do anything. Just tell me something. And uh, because I, I sort of grew up just not knowing. So guys, here's what I want to do. I want you to, as you're thinking about this, thinking about your dad, I want you to throw out some words or phrases for your dad. Just give me a, a, a phrase, an adjective that describe your dad. Emotional. Emotional? Okay. Unengaging. Unengaging? Okay. Go for it, guys. Passive. Generous. Generous. Okay. Strict. Strict. Did you say it? Strict. Okay. Guilt. Guilt. For you or he felt guilty? He felt guilty. Okay. What other words? You might have great phrases too, guys. I'm not trying to beat up on your dads all the time. <laughs> Go ahead. Throw, throw some other ones out. Honest. Honest. <coughs> Caring, stubborn, stubborn, committed, committed, fair, fair, okay, unselfish, 
And selfish? Uh, one time, guys, I was speaking, uh, my wife and I speak at a thing called Weekend to Remember Around the Country. It's a marriage conference, and I was speaking in a, to a group of about 750 men, and I asked him this question. And I remember this guy stood up, he was probably 6'6", uh, 6'7", six, 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 probably 250, 300 pounds. Huge guy, looked like he ate nails for breakfast. And he stands up when we're asking him. Boy, he was real emotional. He stands up and he goes, sexually abused. Sits down. We just felt that. I mean, it's like the whole room is going, whoa. Right? It's just amazing. So, uh, as we think about this, guys, uh, because we're going to move into this, even in our small groups, we're going to get you guys to start talking about this issue with your dad. If there has been some issue, and um, my sense is I've never met a perfect man, so probably all of us have a little bit of wound in one way or another. I wish I could be the perfect dad. I can tell you right now that I'm not. And uh, so, but let me just tell you what happens when this deficit leaves a son's heart without. There are four results of the absent father wound. The first one here, point C, the absent father wound uh, results in anger and pain. Anger and pain that leads to depression. First thing it results in. I can find this... uh, story. came across the story of a guy named Travis Simpkins, and uh, here's what he said about his dad. Uh, he said, uh, this was in Newsweek magazine, he said, I don't remember much of him talking about his dad in the early years, except that he was my hero. I do recall the stories he used to tell the other kids about an important, powerful man He used to fly in at a moment's notice. I'd see him for a few precious hours. He drove flashy rental cars, wore expensive suits, and took me to top dollar restaurants. It enthralled me. This man was so big, so much larger than life. He was my dad, and in my eyes, the king of the world. As I grew older, the visits became more and more infrequent, sometimes a year apart. Nonetheless, what they lacked in quantity, dad made up for in quality. Or some cruel parody of it. He flew in from L.A., New York, San Francisco, dropped names left and right. Always on the brink of really big success. He still remained my hero. He said that um, my dad loved me as only a father can love a son. I don't question that. But he was also a self-centered, egocentric SOB. Who let me down when I needed him most. A part of me will always be that kid at the window waiting and waiting with his nose pressed against the glass. Knowing that if dad said he was coming, he was coming, but waking up curled beneath the window alone. I don't want to sit and cry about the scars his actions may have left. I'd like to believe the only damage done was to our relationship, but I have a very hard time letting people in. Trust is not an easy word for me to say. It's almost impossible for me to feel it. I learned a hard lesson a long time ago. It's not 
one I'll risk learning again. Now that I'm older, ironically, the tables have turned. It's dad now who seeks out his son. It's he who is let down. You remember the song, Cats in the Cradle? Not long ago, we took a trip, my dad and I. I was in trouble with the law. Interesting, isn't it? And dad flew in from New York to help me. We drove from my grandparents' home in North Carolina to my mother's house in Atlanta. It was a gallant gesture, but neither of us could find our way around the wall that we'd built. We talked of business things, politics, the weakening dollar, you know, the important things. Eventually, the conversation turned to the past, and at one point, this baldish but still distinguished 43-year-old man looked at his 19-year-old son, who outweighs him now by 30 pounds, and asked with tears in his eyes, how did you grow up so fast? What happened to my little boy? I suppose I could have said something witty about absence or painful about time. But I looked at this man who was once my hero, notice the phrasing, once my hero, but I, looked, uh, but I saw the gray in what's left in his hair and the wrinkles around his eyes. I understood his frustration of being un unable to solve my problems. It was then I began to replace anger with compassion as I, realized, as I realized he was just as human, just as vulnerable as I. I love my father, but I'm looking in the mirror sometimes and I get a little scared. We're just so damn much alike. Father's Day is right around the corner. He said, there are a lot of kids thinking about their heroes. He said, I hope there are a lot of heroes thinking about their kids. It's amazing, isn't it? By the way, Travis Simpkins, uh, there he is, 20 years old. And he wrote this from Fulton County Prison, awaiting trial for armed robbery. You see, guys, when dad's not there... It creates weightless sons who begin to drift in an anger and pain, find themselves a lot of times in trouble. And they're not sure why, they're just mad. And so in Ephesians 6.4, the Bible says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Think about that. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not lead them to wrath. In uh, Colossians, Paul writes, Do, fathers, don't exasperate, wear out your kids. In other words, your discipline, your punishment has to fit the crime. And also, with regard to, was that sound pretty bad back there? Yes. Yeah. Are you good? How's that? Okay. Sorry about that. Um, but here's the thing, guys. This is what creates anger for a son. When he is left by his father without the boundaries and instruction in life. See, that's one of our jobs as dads. Is to instruct, to encourage, to impart confidence and vision. It's a how-to. And this is the way men are. And here's the thing. There's not a guy in this room that wants to get caught in a scenario with a bunch of other guys around where you don't know how to do something. In fact, guys would rather not try than try and fail and be embarrassed. I told my boys, I said, guys, I'd rather you try and fail than not try at all. Because you're free to fail. But I tell you, you're not free not to try. You've got to try. But that's part of being a guy. You see, guys, when there's no dad... They won't try because they're afraid to fail. 
And then guess what they do? They see other guys trying. In fact, a lot of boys are like a, those little eagles standing on the a cliff, wanting to jump off and fly, but their wings got rubber bands around them because their dads put it on them. So they just stand and they watch other guys flying and they're like, crap. They get mad and frustrated. And that leads to anger, pain. And so what happens with these guys is that it's not just a dad's presence that's important to a boy, but his substance. And so this not knowing leads to frustration. And uh, I remember... uh, even with Jeffrey Dahmer's dad talking about watching his son drift into himself. Uh, I remember my six-year-old son, my oldest at the time, Samuel, he was running in and out of a house one day, and I was sitting there with another friend at my kitchen table, and every time he'd run in, he'd leave the door wide open. It was the middle of summer. And you know, as a dad, what are you thinking about? Air conditioning, money, right? Close the door. So my son... Opens the door, boom, runs on in. Now watch me go, Samuel, close the door. He kind of comes back, close the door, runs back out, leaves the door open. Samuel, come back, close the door, close the door. About the third time, I finally kind of lose it. I go, Samuel, close the door. Just about like that. And all of a sudden, I watched my six-year-old just, boy, stop. And he looked at me, and boy, all of a sudden you could see this... He went over there and he got the door and went, boom! Pretty impressive. So he started walking away. And all of a sudden, the, the boyishness in him changed. I said this sort of frustration and anger. And I watched him sort of sulk across the living room floor, ready to head up the stairs. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, there he is. Okay, now there's some between he and I. And he's going to have a choice as a six-year-old on what to do with me. You know, he'll probably walk up the stairs and he's sitting there as a six-year-old trying to figure out me. And he'll probably go sit in his bed and he'll be thinking things. And he'll be drifting where? Into a six-year-old's mind. Listen, guys. I was sitting there going, there's no way. I'm going to let him go up there with his own mind and think about me with what has just happened. So I stopped him and said, hey, Samuel. And he said, what? I was like, boy, I can't believe that. I said, Sam, you need to turn around. I need to talk to you. He goes, I don't want to. And I said, listen, did I hurt you? And he said, yes. I says, well, you need to come back here. He says, I don't want to. And I says, well, if you don't come back here, something's going to be more hurt than your heart. comes on back he sits down on my lap and I said I did hurt you didn't I he goes yes I said now did I hurt you because I asked you to close the door and it's amazing he goes no did I hurt your heart because of the way I told you to close the door yes Samuel I'm so sorry I'm frustrated, and I just, I became impatient, and I, that was my bad. I'm so sorry, honey. Will you forgive me? And he looks at me, and it's like his eyes just get big, and he kind of tears up, and he goes, yes. And so then he said, well, will you forgive me for not closing the door? I said, yes. We kind of hugged. 
boom, he ran out and left the door wide open. <laughs> but here's the deal. That's, that's, that's parenting, right? But I'm not raising doors, right? I'm not raising a house. I'm raising sons. And you see what I'm saying, guys? It's, it's the littlest things as a boy. Whatever your dad does, you're left to yourself. What do I do with this? I don't know. You guys drift, and it results in anger and pain. Are you with me? Second thing that uh, the absent father wound can result in is addictions and obsessions. Addictions and obsessions, which leads to shame. Addictions is the idea of suppressing pain. It's numbing out drugs, alcohol, pornography. It's numbing out from the reality of the pain or the lack of direction you feel in your life. I just I can't handle it. I just need to numb out. Uh, obsessions are unhealthy resolutions to pain. Uh, and in other words, you may be the star of the company. You may really work hard. The unfortunate thing about America is I remember there was a time when we said, hey, listen, we'll get to a place where the work week will shorten and we'll work from Monday through Thursday and have a longer weekend. Does that happen in America? That ain't happening, is it? Why? Because the guys that become the stars of the company are the guys that work the hardest because in America, guess what? You work the hardest, you get the most. And you're the hero. And that's what drives American industry is guys, quite honestly, who are unhealthy. They're workaholics. And let me just explain this for a second. If you ask a guy why he's working so hard, a lot of times, especially if he's in his early 30s, he'll, he'll look at you and he'll go, I don't know, I guess I just I want stuff. Why? Why? And he can't answer the why. He just work and work and work. And I remember I met a guy who was about 36, very successful. And he got to the place where he just crashed and burned. And I remember uh, he said, I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I had to place 3, 3.30 and I get so anxious I couldn't sleep. I was thinking about all the stuff I had to do. And finally I said, why are you working so hard? And I remember he looked at me and he just said, I don't know. I do not know why I'm working the way I'm working. I don't know. Never thought about it. Unexamined life, not a life worth living. Just bumping through life. You see that? So he was obsessed with work. Now, why? I think a lot of guys become very unhealthy with their work because they're working to win approval. That's really why they're working. To win approval from somebody because of what they've done. They get to a place where somebody will look at them and go, you're the man. You're amazing. Nobody's done it like you before. You know why they want it? Even when they get it, it still is not satisfactory. You know why they work so hard for approval? Because they never got it. You see that? That's why Jesus needed to hear from his father. I am so pleased with where he is right now. Period. He's my son. See, when guys don't get it, they want it. And some guys, 
resolve it in an unhealthy way to their work their brains out to get it. And unfortunately, it costs them sometimes marriages, relationship with their kids, and so on. Um, third thing that the absent father wound results in is lostness. Lostness, which leads to loneliness or emptiness. And uh, this lostness is the idea of the absence of teaching, the absence of the heart teaching, the absence of learning about how to move through life, how to negotiate life mainly with people. Because guys, listen, the only thing that lasts forever is people. That's it. Not your car, not your house. You know, it's the old thing you never saw a U-Haul following a hearse, right? People. That's it. It's the only thing that lasts forever. But unfortunately, as men, we are task-oriented. We're workers. We work, 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 work. And that's why, remember I said before, we in America tend to relate functionally. If you meet a guy, what's the first phrase you're going to say? What do you do? See, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? That's all I want to know. Because that's the only framework by which I can understand you. I don't want to know about your family, your wife, your kids. I just want to know what you do, and then I'll evaluate you. You see that? And a lot of it is because we're in a generation that's lost the sacred things, the noble things, the important things, on how to even communicate to another human being on a level that transcends just doing. Because guys, listen, God didn't create human doings. He created human beings. Beings, to be. And so what happens is we're lost. So many men today become very indecisive about life. And I think we experience many things, but often we have convictions about nothing. In other words, we're weightless. We have our feet firmly planted in midair. We're just sort of floating around. I don't, I don't know what I believe about God. I don't know what I believe about the commitment of marriage. I don't know what I believe about life in a womb that's not born yet. I don't know what I believe about sexual promiscuity. I don't know what I believe about someone who is... Uh, marrying the same sex. I don't know what I believe. I don't know. See, it's just the absence of teaching. And so what men do is they just wander around kind of like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Kind of looking for experiences to fill them up. Let me go, let's go do something. This makes you sort of experientially fat. So somehow that's where you get life. And so we just bump around. Drifting up going through life, trying to gobble up experiences, and then eventually we lose sight of the shore, and we're not sure why we're on the planet. Somebody once said a fanatic, a fanatic is defined by someone who doubles his efforts once he's lost sight of his goal. There's a lot of guys just fanatically living, not sure why they do what they do. And then the last uh, result here, guys, this may shock you a bit, but the last result of the father wound is homosexuality. Homosexuality. Which leads to, or this idea of perversions of various kinds. 
including homosexuality. Why is that? Because the absence of dad leaves a, a son fractured in his soul. And so one of the chief causes people are finding out today, researchers are finding out, is actually one of the chief causes of homosexuality is a broken relationship with dad. Now obviously there are some people who say homosexuality is a genetic, uh, you're predisposed uh, to be that way. It may very well be. However, here's the thing guys. Uh, even if you're predisposed for it, if you have a dad that fractures your soul, you'll really move into it. Because, let me just tell you, there's nothing right about it. There's nothing healthy about it. It creates diseases. You'll never leave a legacy. You still have to have women to produce the next generation. It's, just, it's, so, it's such an aberration from normal life, right? But our culture trying to convince us otherwise without looking at why this is such an issue in our culture today. Let me tell you, two, one of every two children who grew up without a dad, you think that's not going to create social disorder and that one of the chief causes of homosexuality is going to be because of that fractured relationship? Absolutely. You have to be an ostrich with your head buried in the sand not to understand that. Uh, Elizabeth Moberly, who was a uh, sociologist. Let me see if I can find her quote. Here's what she said about this issue. She said, what we see with young men in homosexuality is an, an eroticized attempt. Now listen carefully, men, to understand this. Homosexuality and is eroticized attempt in adulthood to repair the damaged relationship that occurred with the same-sex parent in adolescence. Much, if not all, of homosexuality depends on difficulties in the parent-child relationship, especially in the early years of life. By the way, guys, when dad is most absent, I was told young dads, guys, and if you don't have children yet, listen, from, uh, even from my psychological training, from birth to five is when a child's brain is being hardwired. From birth to five. If you never change your child's diaper, let me tell you, you're hurting your son and daughter. Uh, you need to be holding, caressing, touching, feeling, talking to your children out of the womb like dads used to. Because from birth to five is when they're being hardwired. Anyway, they go on to say that the homosexual, whether man or woman, has suffered from some deficit in the relationship with a parent of the same sex. There is a corresponding drive to make good this deficit through the medium of same-sex homosexual relationships. Here's what she said in essence. Homosexuality may result when a son is trying to repair the severance he's had at an early age for whatever reason with his dad. And that attempt is eroticized in a same-sex relationship. In other words, he wants, here's the bottom line, a man or a woman wants so much to be loved, held, taken care of by a man, dad, namely dad. And if he didn't get it, he wants it so bad, he'll go get it in a same-sex relationship. Make sense? Well, that's the result of the wound. Pretty big deal, right guys?
Uh, let me just, in, uh, you know what, I'm not even going to read this, just for the sake of time. Uh, no, I'll read it. It'll only take a minute. Just keep us kind of going on the father thing. Okay? Uh, there's a, a book, it was called Father, Son, and a Three Mile Run. Uh, in this book, Keith Linehouse tells a story about his father who got to watch his son play the game of his life. The son was an Ivy League football player who was short on talent but long on dedication. He rarely played but never missed a practice. The player's coach also was impressed with his devotion to his father. Often he saw them walking arm in arm through the campus. Just before the biggest game of the year, the player's father died. So the coach was surprised when the player asked if he could start the next game. The coach hesitated, knowing the player could make a crucial mistake that could destroy the team's chances to win, but he finally consented. And so here's how the story is picked up. Oh no, the coach groaned as the opening kickoff floated end over end right into Jerry's arms. But instead of fumbling, as the coach expected, Jerry hugged the ball tightly, dodged three on-rushing defenders, and raced to midfield before he finally got tackled. The coach had never seen Jerry run with such agility and power. Perhaps sensing something, he had the quarterback call Jerry's signal. The quarterback handed off. Jerry responded by breaking tackles for a 20-yard gain. A few plays later, he carried the ball over the goal line. The favored opponents were stunned. Who was this kid? He wasn't even in the scattering reports. He hadn't even showed up. Uh, he'd only played a total of three minutes all year. The coach left Jerry in. He played the entire first half on both offense and defense, tackling, intercepting, knocking down passes, blocking, running. He did it all. During the second half, Jerry continued to inspire the team. When the final gun sounded, his team had won. In the locker room, Bedlam reserved only for teams that have fought the impossible fight and triumph. The coach sought out Jerry and found him sitting quietly, head in his hands, in a far corner of the locker room. Son, he said, what happened out there? The coach asked as he put his arm around him. You can't play as well as you did. You're just not that fast. You're not that strong or even that skilled. What happened? Jerry looked up at the coach and said softly, You see, coach, my dad was blind. And this was the first game he ever got to see me play. This is amazing, isn't it? The, the power of a dad and a son. 